Welcome to Still Growing in Grace, a program dedicated to inspiring joy, giving hope, and delighting in grace. I'm Mike Zenker, and I'll be sharing with you a message of hope that will expand your understanding of God's love and amazing grace. God already deeply loves you, totally accepts you, and really, really likes you. Growing in Grace Ministries Canada and Hope Fellowship, your community church, invite you to enjoy today's program as we dig deeper into what it means to be still growing in grace. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Still Growing Grace. Thanks for getting up early and joining me with your cup of coffee, if you're a coffee drinker, and most of my friends are, but there are tea drinkers out there. But pity, oh, I don't like the tea as much as I love my coffee. Anyway, um, today I've got a, a special guest that uh, some of you may not have heard of before. Some of you know who Michael Harden is. Um, <clears throat> I've heard of Michael for many, many years. Um, I've listened to a lot of his teaching. Uh, it's deep. Um, so if you look for shallow fluff, mm -mm. <laughs> you're not he just it's like impossible for michael to just dish out fluff um which is cool i met uh or i've let's just say uh my friend rudy and michelle zacharias in uh alberta are the ones who gave me a closer introduction to to michael because michael ended up staying in their home at one point and so i think i watched those recordings or listened to them and it's through them that uh rudy michelle had mentioned that this michael guy is a really good guy and I thought, okay all right okay let's let's find out who this is so um we made a, a strange new connection recently and uh, uh i call it god incidents <laughs> which is pretty cool um but uh, i want you to enjoy this interview him and richard murray uh and myself are having a conversation uh, about having hope for those who are unlearning because there are some um, folks who are doing this deconstruction thing in a very sad way and they're bleeding publicly on their pages as in they're they're dealing with their trauma publicly which I don't think is wise at all um, uh, but there are some fantastic folks who share uh, a better, more hope-filled, and more gentle approach to unlearning topics carefully and discovering better lenses uh, or having our lenses removed that were put onto us by our past. And uh, I don't know, I, I love the unlearning thing. And I thought, you know, deconstruction is a, it's a buzzword. It's still a legit word, even for those who don't like the word. Uh, it's a it's a go-to quick word but for me i've been unlearning and learning for 20 years i've been a pastor for 33 and uh um i think uh michael brings a lot of history as well so i think he briefly touches on it but sit back and enjoy i've got two amazing thinkers in this conversation richard and michael and i think you're gonna thoroughly enjoy this so here we go all right all right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Still Growing Grace. I've got a special guest, Michael Harden, uh, who uh, agreed ha -ha, to join me for a conversation with Richard Murray and myself. Um, and it By was way, a check coming. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, it'll be in the mail. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, in fact, it was uh, Richard reminded me of where I probably first saw you, and that was in the Hellbound thing. Okay. And I didn't, I didn't make that connection until about five minutes before we, we connected online here. Um, but I'd love to hear a little bit who you are and 
a little bit about your journey of unlearning. Now, people use the term deconstruction. Some say it's not valid. Some say it is. I think it is. It has value, but there are different ways to understand it. It's not destruction. It's a deconstruct. And what you deconstruct was never true anyway. So in my mind. But yeah. I'd love to hear your lens on this. And Richard, I'd love to have you ask questions along the way too. But honestly, I'd, I am personally gaining the benefit of knowing who you are. And to me, this is a gift you're giving me. Yeah, so I mean, I've 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 had a lifelong unlearning process and a lifelong learning process that go hand in hand. Uh, from the time I was eighteen and was born again into the Baptist Church, you know, I grew up Catholic. I'm so sorry. Yeah, yeah, but <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, I I was a card carrying Schofield Bible King James only, you know, I mean, twelve nine yards dispensationalist. Oh, it was. <laughs> I grew yeah. up German Baptist, so I get it. Yeah, it was intellectual leprosy. Anyway, um, um, I've spent my life, all I've ever wanted to know is Jesus. And that's been my prayer since I was a brand new Christian. I just wanted to know Jesus. And and I've spent my whole life from one of the early days uh, when I met my wife, who's now deceased, and... um, uh, we were in the Jesus movement through becoming uh, going to seminary, becoming a pastor, becoming a hospital chaplain, crashing and burning in the ministry, spending nights in the attic amongst all my books, which I'd packed up and I'd smoke a joint for hours and I'd pray, Jesus, where are you? How do I find you? You know, and wow. uh, well, yeah, what was really weird is there was a little bit of light up there. And sometimes I'd get bored and I'd crack open whatever box was available. For some reason, Calvin was there <laughs> right next to me, <laughs> but I did, but I dipped in from time to time. It was good. No. And then, you know, on into the, the uh, rebuilding of my life years and the preaching peace ministry, you know, from 2007 to 17, then the crash of that whole thing as it happened, it was a terrible tragedy. And I, I would say my biggest unlearning has been since I'm 60 years old. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, and my biggest learning has now been since I'm 60 years old. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Um, and as I've given thought to this business of deconstruction, there's a couple of things I'd want to say that I think might be beneficial. One is um, deconstruction is only the second part of a three-part journey. The first part of the journey, Paul Ricoeur, the French philosopher, calls first naivete. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Mom and dad said it, it must be yep. true. Okay. And the second part he calls critical distance. That's when you break from that. You move from childhood to adolescence, as it were. And you uh, ask questions. You know, maybe questions people don't want you to ask because they don't have the answers to them because they're still stuck in the God said it, I believe it phase. And and what happens is pe- people get stuck here in critical distance today. They get stuck in being able to tear everything apart, but they they have no way out of this desert. Hmm. And it was uh, Recur that started one of his books by saying, out of the desert of criticism, we long to be called. And um, there are very, very, very few that are actually out there uh, from my perspective that can actually take people from this critical distance to what Ricoeur calls a second naivete. And that's where you hold that that naivete, that that faith. You can trust this word of God, not the Bible, but, but, but that God speaks. 
you can trust that. But at the same time, you can have intellectual critical distance with how you might even frame that or understand it, you know. So essentially what's happening is that in the first naivete, people believe that the language or the words they're using are perfect and true. Mm. And they believe the words. And then they construct these sentences together and create a theology. And they they don't so much trust the Father as they believe in their theology. And there's a real difference, a major difference um, between the Latin understanding of fides, which we translate as faith, and the Greek term pistis, which we really poorly translate as faith, and we should translate as trust. Hmm. Because fides, belief, is an intellectual operation, and Christians are not Gnostics. Trust is an operation that's relational. You see see the difference? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so People are coming out of that that first naivete with this intellectual understanding of, quote, faith, and it breaks down, and then they go through the second part of deconstruction, which is the emotional breakdown, because now, if if the God you believed in doesn't exist, then, then what happens for most people is, therefore, God doesn't exist. Right. They have not yet been able to say, oh, that was just the God I believed in. You know what I'm. You know what I mean. So oh, absolutely. So so then it becomes really important at this point, and this is where I think pastoral care is absolutely essential. This is the only point at which you can help a person really begin to move through that emotional away from that emotional bondage to intellectual frameworks um, into a true deconstruction. And the true deconstruction is a spiritual journey and it always involves the cross and the ego. And that's the real deconstruction. That's the Christian journey. The intellectual emotional component that comes first is not the important part. It's the prelude. It's the prologue. It's the introduction, but the real spiritual journey comes when our Our egos are crucified. We realize that we've been putting our trust in our theology. We haven't learned to trust Papa yet. We haven't learned to to be grateful just to be alive and take every small breath that we can take because previously we were just consumed with questions. I mean, you know, like John Lennon said, the wheels in our head keep going round and round, you know. know, So um, I, I think it's really important what you guys are doing, and I'm I'm uh, really thrilled to be able to catch up with Richard again. This is fun. It's not by coincidence either. You know, there's um, I call it God incidents. <laughs> yeah, right. That's, that's right. That's right. So th- those would be some initial thoughts I would share uh, on the deconstruction process. And the other thing is, I'm partly responsible. I think when you go back. Deconstruction was not really being used, but I was using it as a metaphor way back in the early 2000s. And I talked about this old house. I said the first thing they do is they go in and they deconstruct the house. And I was kind of, I wasn't so much thinking in terms of Jacques Derrida as I was of the construction process, you know? And I said, but after they tear out all the bad wiring and plumbing, they just don't invite the people to move back in. 
they, they said, we're going to redo it. We have to put new piping, new plumbing. And that for us means we need new ways of thinking. New wiring, re- rewiring. We really do need new wiring. And part of that wiring can only come from discipleship. And this is in line with the dictum of the Anabaptist um, Hans Dink, who said, only those who follow Christ can know him. And those who know him follow him. Mm-hmm. So knowledge, knowledge is not, the, and this is the problem, is the Greek view of knowledge is, it, the, it is it, in, its, in its base, it's looking for its episteme. So we have epistemological, how do we know that we know? We're looking for that episteme. You can keep drilling down and drilling down and drilling down and drilling down. And the thing is, is we've discovered there's no foundation in that tradition. You just keep drilling all the way to a, 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 an intellectual, emotional hell is mm. what really happens. So there's no foundation in that tradition, that this Gnostic intellectual tradition that we're in. And that's why you, you, you man, I spent most of my life following Jesus with my mind before I realized I had to follow him with my life, my my. I had to learn to interpret my life experience through the cross. I had to let the past go. I had to let the ego go. I had to let all the nonsense go in order to be able to live now in this rectification by trust. Mm. I know the Father loves me and I'm in a good relationship because he says so. What can I tell you? <laughs> what can I tell you? <laughs> Well, I'd like to I'd like to ask you something, Michael, about, you know, I know we've we've each had people that we were close to at one point, And as they go through the deconstruction, they end up rejecting Jesus. Yeah. And uh, and it becomes somewhat cynical. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I've, I've even seen, you know, it's not uncommon for them to be drawn into the Gnostic, you know, areas. And I I guess I, I'd like to hear with friends or people that you know that you've seen go through that what if you have any pastoral thoughts or just guidance because i know you just can't that you know you're beating your head against the wall just trying to tell somebody they're doing something wrong but and i know obviously we pray for them and we love them we don't we don't shun them you know that's mm-hmm. probably the biggest thing i've learned I, i'm so used to i was so used to shunning people uh and, and now that I, I don't really believe in shunning anymore i i, I have a lot more friends even you know, with, with people that I disagree with, that that no longer intimidates me the way that it right. used to. But I, I really respect your intellect and, and coming at deconstruction from high altitude uh, scholarship, uh, because I'm sure you have your own battles that maybe, you know, non-scholars might not have. you you got to go through your own, all the naivete you were talking about, <laughs> you know, filtered through, you know, filtered through your training and everything else. But anyway, just, just along those lines, I'd, like, I'd love to hear you give us some counsel uh, about yeah. that sort of thing when we see someone sort of straying from the faith. So this is, this is the, the interesting thing is that in this, this deconstruction process, what happens, and let's just talk within Pro- American Protestant evangelicals that are going through deconstruction. Let's just narrow it down to that group, right? Because that's, that's my audience and your audience. Okay. Okay. When they begin their process it's always going to be over one of three things. Number one, questioning the inerrancy and fallibility of Scripture. Number two, the eternal conscious doctrine 
torment doctrine of hell or penal substitution. It's one of those three that's usually the initiator or the catalyst for a process that starts raising a thousand questions. The fourth one, um, I'm beginning to see more and more and more now, and that's the theodicy question. How can a good God let this happen to me? So I think for a long time it was those first three, but now with the way the world's moving, I think we're seeing the theodicy question raised, which is great. Oh, they, I love that. That's turn right to the cross, man. You know, boom. But yeah. um, but um, what they do is they automatically think in their heads that like eternal conscious torment, penal substitution, even a doctrine of inerrancy that comes out of Chicago, they think that's truth. And so when they abandon it, they don't have anything to put in its place. And then their head gets filled with seven other demons that come in wow. and, and start saying all <laughs> kinds of things like, well, then you don't have to believe in this. You don't have to believe in this. Jesus wasn't raised from the dead. Jesus was just a prophet. Jesus didn't do real miracles. Jesus um, wasn't the son of God. On and on and on. There is no doctrine of the Trinity. You don't need a doctrine of the Okay. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they're doing this very naively, very, very naively. And, you know, and I, that's where I feel sorry for them. Because if they understood what they were saying, they would run fast from what they're mm -hmm. saying. Because if they understood, for example, the doctrine of the Trinity is not an article of faith, that the doctrine of the Trinity is not something I believe in. The doctrine of the Trinity is a hermeneutic. The doctrine of the Trinity is the lens the Father gives me to mm -hmm. understand. God's self. The Trinity is my hermeneutic, not this thing I believe in, right? Wow. right. Yes. So, so the Trinity is a living, abiding reality for me in everything. Um, a, living, a living template. A living, yeah, that's right, that's right, that's right, that's right, that's right. So if they understood that, then they wouldn't be so quick to throw out the baby with the bathwater and and, um, and, you know, if they understood what it meant to be able to articulate why it's important that uh, the father says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. You know, I, I wish the so-called people that are orthodox, when they come and lose, this is my beloved son, you know, and they focus on that part and they want to talk about the divinity of Jesus and they don't want to go to the ethical part. Listen to him. I know. I know. <laughs> you know, it's hard to get around that in Matthew 5, 38 through 48 about the perfection of the father, you know, is is based on how he treats his enemy. I mean, they, you know, wow. you can't get around. I mean, that's the most direct it statement is. right on right on right on topic. And, and, and as you know, I'm probably most famous for being a very open mouth proponent of nonviolence as yes. the ethic of the Christian life. So, mm. yeah. I grew up in a Baptist church and nonviolence was not a topic. Then I joined a brethren in Christ church and where I began my ordination and pastoral ministry and peace and non-resistance was a big theme. And I thought they don't know what they're talking about. And then as I learned Christ in you, Suddenly, I realized, wait, there's so much I was never told, or I was given definitions that were illegitimate. Right, right. Well, that's the big thing right now in my um, 
one of the things I'm gonna I'm, I will be coming up with not this next lecture but the one after that that I'm doing in my class is to um oh wait 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 tell us what that is because I was gonna ask you since you just mentioned it what is it you're doing um I just last week have um started my systematic theology so to speak it's the, the class is called um discipleship for today on facebook but it's my way of integrating the that we live our theology we don't have a theology we don't have theology and ethics we live our mm -hmm. theology our theology is our ethic you can discern our theology from our ethic amen you know there's no distinction um but but i will be showing them how uh, the first thing is uh, you can't trust language. I'm going to go through the history of philosophy on this and everything else. You can't trust language. And then I'm going to show them how revelation is a gain to language by using that wonderful reformed correlation of word and spirit. However, I am not going to say that language is redeemed, all language is redeemed, that the Holy Spirit, the the, the creator of all reality, can use any words anytime she wants. And they can be bird song words. They can be the words of the waves. They can be the words of Holy Scripture. They can be the words of a brother or sister. They can just, just be the words of, 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 of a deep prayer. The Spirit doesn't need our theology to do her great work, you know, and Jesus sure isn't consulting my theology before he does his work in my life, you yeah. know? Um, That's beautiful. Yeah, this, the, God is wonderfully and beautifully free, and, and everything about the Trinity is liberation. And that includes liberating us from mindsets that are unhealthy, uh, theological mindsets that are negative and uh, destructive, and I don't know if you guys have, but I've actually known it. I'm going to guess in the neighborhood of about a half a dozen people that actually ended up with clinical psychotic disorders, diagnosed psychotic disorders because of this fear of hell thing. Mm. Oh, oh yeah. that's what, yeah. Go ahead, Richard. No, no, no. I, uh, I'm trying to, uh, uh, I can't remember who it was. It was the, I think it was the chaplain in the Senate, the famous chaplain. Who, who was that? Um, he, ba well, he ba basically said it's uh, that you, how could you um, hear, ha have this belief about hell without cauterizing your conscience? You'd have to cauterize mm -hmm. your conscience to be able to accept it because it's maddening, mm -hmm. you know, and, and it is maddening. And, um, and it's really, but Michael, you know, I, I was thinking the fourth thing about the violence. I wonder, you mentioned the, the fourth thing is the theodicy. And I guess you, that maybe the violence is a subset of that, you know, whether there's violence in God or not. But I, I could really see that being, because it seems to me that some people that go through deconstruction become verbally violent. Yeah. You know? Oh, my goodness. Yes. Yeah. Well, that would be normal, because think about it. What emotion is going to be attached when if you believe if you if you believe what the church told you and you've done your Bible work the way they told you and you bought your commentaries and you're you're reading in that little bubble and one day one day and something happens and it's it's either church related where somebody says something and and or somebody does something uh, and that bubble pops or it threatens to pop. And at a certain point, you realize 
you know, things are happening, you can't control it. The first thing that gets happens is going to be fear. Yeah. And the, as, as more and more comes down, that fear is going to be expressed as anger because now there is no God. See, in other words, their idol mm. has collapsed. The God they've been praying to and living for, of course they're going to be angry. Because they're going to replicate the God they believed in. They, that's exactly what they're doing, because that's the only thing they can. Yeah. Right? Wow. Yeah. Boy, that's heavy. <laughs> well, well, it is heavy. The whole, the whole topic is heavy because it's forcing one to be honest with who God really is. This is where the Trinity thing comes in that you were talking about. Yeah. And that was a big unlearning part for me. You know, like, first of all, like end times was my biggie because that then was the gateway to learning that hell has other menu items. And then, you know, penal substitution, all those, like all these topics you're talking about, the theodicy part, who is Trinity? It's like, oh my goodness, it's now a mystery that is is allowed to be explored and we don't have to be hung on having to have the right answer, but trust the peace of the spirit in us to guide us to an answer. Well, this is where one of my arguments is we need to allow Scripture to redefine the categories of things like God, Christ, sin, church, da da da, And Jesus does this. This is exactly what Jesus does when he comes on the scene is he's bringing a, a really radical definition hmm. of the term God or Hashem in, you know, in Judaism, the name. He's bringing a radical reorientation to this. He he blows out of the water the, the hermeneutic uh, of the book of Deuteronomy that says, if you do good, you'll be blessed, and if you do bad, you'll be cursed. He says, that's not my father. My father makes sun to shine on good and evil and rain to fall on just and unjust. Amen. That's not my father. Amen. You know? and, and so you have Jesus going around all the time reframing the parables are are a massive massive intellectual attempt by Jesus to reach the masses by distorting their their thinking with parables parables if you understand a parable then you don't understand it parables <laughs> are splinters in the brain man yes because the moment you think oh the king is like god you, 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 you're 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 missing it. The, the the point of the parable is the king is and not, God is not like the king in the parable. I mean, parables compare, but they also contrast. Yeah, you know, and and obviously through the oral tradition, they're given certain life settings within the gospel tradition, and you know, we we fail at this point to recognize Jesus is constantly the way he uses biblical texts. I mean, Richard and I love it that Jesus cherry picks his Bible because that's what we do. <laughs> I know, and it's okay. The world's it's not okay. going to end. It's In fact, it's going to get us. It's, it's going to get a little kinder. It's righteous. Oh man, that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, but, well, but Richard know, and I, we're out there going. We're not just cherry picking. We're going. Which cherries would Jesus pick? Oh, that's exactly. funny. That's, that's hilarious. Exactly right. Which cherries honor the divine nature? Yeah, which is when I, when I that's you good. know, that's the it. Hashem, you know, the name, the nature. This yeah. whole thing is about the nature of Jesus becoming our orienting principle. Hey, so what know. do you what do you, so what do you do with that line Jesus said? No one has seen the Father. Doesn't he upset the tables right with that statement alone? And nobody knows the Father but the Son. No one has seen. 
Oh, yeah. And yet we got all these Jewish stories of God being seen somehow, but <laughs> yeah. Well, well, the, there, there are certain anthropomorphisms you find in later Jews okay. Judaism, but the primary story there, of course, is Moses in the cleft of the rock. Uh, and those sayings come out of the fourth gospel, and the fourth gospel is, is being written it, it is in a situation where the Christian Jews and the Jewish Jews are all in the same synagogue still, and there's a Jesus-Moses argument going okay. on. Okay. So you have that parallelism running throughout the entire gospel. Yeah, they don't tell you that in Sunday school. <laughs> no, they also don't tell you that the in the writer's mind, Peter, the disciple Peter's to be attached to the Moses tradition. Yeah. <laughs> Recognize yeah, that yeah. now. Yep. You know, you know, Michael, I was uh just thinking about uh if if I had to share where I've been over the last few years, it's this I've given up the idea of precision, you know, that I needed a precise answer on everything. And that the way the Holy Spirit answers things is largely rough edged. Yeah. And the the more I insist on precision, the more I, I I rely on the language thing you were talking about. And it actually diverts me away. I'm OK with having a rough a, a rough answer. That's good for me. That I'm happy with a rough answer. I don't have to lay it out, A, B, C, D and explain everything. I've been and yet, and yet and yet you're a lawyer. So Amen. that's bizarre. <laughs> well, you know, I'll tell you what, you know, if you've got a, if you've, if, if you're willing to hold your doctrine lightly, recognizing that language is bloody, language is deceptive. I mean, w most people have never given a thought to what language is or how anything about it, but, but it's, it's really manipulable. Hmm. And, um, just like anything else that we humans are, it's it's broken, it's fallen to use yeah. you know, the old language. Um, and if you if you're willing to at least recognize that just as light comes into darkness, just as life comes into the tomb and death, so revelation can come into language, invigorate that language, so that there is both an is and an is notness. The word itself is not the thing itself. It's pointing back to this other reality, but it is important because it does point. Yes. You know, it's a witness. It's a testimony. So <laughs> the only question for me is, is not, did God write the Bible, but were the authors being faithful to what they were receiving? And the answer is they were. Some of them we're still stuck like the little epistle of Jude, Jesus' brother. Jude is still stuck in this second temple, Hanakkah eschatology, you know, and he's trying to fit Jesus into that, you know, and, and you got the revelator trying to fit Jesus into that kind of thing. You got Matthew's community trying to fit Jesus into that, and First Peter trying to fit Jesus. The whole Jerusalem church is trying to fit Jesus into second temple Jewish eschatology, and you see Paul doing it in the first two letters he writes, first and second Thessalonians in 41. But then there's a break for eight years. And at some point during that time, Ooh. the Antioch hits it, it happens. That Paul refers to in Galatians 2. And do you know, when you start taking his letters, I use Douglas Campbell's uh, uh, book, um, uh, Framing Paul. But <laughs> I think it's the best chronology of Paul's letters of the four that have been written in the last hundred years. This is the finest. If you go to Ephesians, which is the next letter Paul writes, 
after the Thessalonian letters, and they're about nine years apart, right? Mm -hmm. You'll see that Paul's gone through a theological deconstruction mm. and reconstruction. And so I like using this because it shows that you can leave this evangelical paradigm, which is nothing more than Christian Second Temple Hanakic thinking. You can leave that like Paul did, and 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 that, and see the power of the gospel now in Ephesians, Colossians, you know, Romans, Galatians, Corinthians, and so on, um, or the writer of the fourth gospel who is very dead set against the interpretation, uh, the Second Temple apocalyptic interpretation of the synoptic tradition and the Jerusalem Church, and frames Jesus quite differently. Hmm. You know, there's a, that's another form of deconstruction in the new testament and framing oh that's excellent you know you know i remember listening to uh jewish mystics talk about uh de-husking you know that everything is husked over mm -hmm. and we're here to repair the world by de-husking it and it's like there's so many husks over the divine image you know what we're really talking about deconstructing is just taking these husks off husks others that projected husks we projected husks of you know mind you know, hive minds have projected. And um, and then underneath, there's this glory. And, and I love that about it, what you were saying about Ephesians, because that's where the glory, it's been de-hushed, man. That's yeah. where the glory is. Yeah. Well, uh -huh. Paul, what, what, what did Paul discover? He discovered that God was relating Jews and Gentiles differently than the way they were being related in Second Temple eschatology. That's what Amen. he discovered. Amen. I find everything comes out differently after that. I find yeah. it interesting you use the term discipleship, and then your theology course you're doing is uh, based on discipleship. In my unlearning and reframing the word deconstruction, I think it's just basic discipleship. It's just a continued journey of it. It's just a hot word right now that still has legitimacy, but it's authentically, it's just growing up. It's still growing yeah. in faith. It's like the child, young man, father that's in First Peter or Second Peter, whatever one that is. But to me, that's a, a really amazing model where the child, the first thing he says is, you know, child, because you know your sins are forgiven. Well, heck, most of the church doesn't even know they're forgiven. So guess what stage they're at? Holy crap. To have to admit yeah. that. And then the young adult asking all the questions, you know, why, why, why? And then the adult is is the it's about oneness. It's living from Abba, from it's there's nothing selfish about it. It's agape, pure agape. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. My, my, Michael, I love I, yeah, I, I love that point about just some practical advice. It, when we're sharing with somebody or just in general is maybe tapping into the more into those books where Paul was got on the other side of it. Yeah. yeah. And and what, what he stopped emphasizing versus what, what he, where he ended uh, up at. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I've done a seminar on that and it just rocks people's worlds to realize that Paul actually had a quote, second conversion. Mm. Yeah. I really okay. like that. Can I ask you then, because you're, I'm, I'm hearing people's questions right away, because I have a lot of people in all kinds of stages, and you said there was three really big ones on deconstruction that are huge topics. The inerrancy of scripture, if yeah. that is not dealt with, what we're just talked about is useless, right? Because well, well, yes and no, and I'm going to tell you why. Okay. I don't, I don't know where Richard is today, but when we first tangled, and we tangled <laughs> I mean, we tangled cordially, which was really awesome. We were we were both being adults about it, but we tangled early on when we were first we met. 
inerrancy was important to Richard, and I was trying to to bust that whole theory wide open. You know, and I don't know if it's still important today. Um, but the reason I go after it is because it functions as an idol within the Protestant Reformed Evangelical Fundamentalist tradition. And it functions as a um, hermeneutic. It's a hermeneutic. They won't call it that. But it, it's a hermeneutic. It's a theory. You, you tell someone God wrote it, everything that's in it, that's a hermeneutic, man. And equally authoritative. Equally authoritative across the board, yes. Yeah. So thank that's God. what I'm talking about. Thank God for Schofield and all the cross references. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> you know, it, I, I this the other day uh, I was being slammed by somebody, and uh, somebody shared something, and and I said, and then the person said, "Have you read your Bible? Have you not read <laughs> your Bible?" And it suddenly hit me. It suddenly it suddenly hit me that it, it it wasn't my Bible. It was his Bible. He was saying mm -hmm. I hadn't read, mm -hmm. which, which is his interpretation and his presumptions and his, wow. you know, uh, you know, the hive mind things that are affecting him and poor presumptions and all this other stuff. So where I'm at, I, I think it's the wrong question, Michael. I, I don't even think that term can apply. It, it, there's no way language by itself in and of itself could be that. Yeah. So it's I, I don't even go there, uh, oh, but I, I'm with you. I, I'm with you. I hold it much when you first met me. I hold it much looser now, but yeah. I get more from it than I ever have before. Oh yeah, and you know, I mean, you know me. I'm I'm a fierce historical critical thinker and a mimetic theoretical thinker. I, I come at the Bible anthropologically, almost scientifically. Mm -hmm. And 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 yet and yet I have enough rich theological tradition behind me to know that to do that, only that would be absolutely naive, mm -hmm. you know, because the synagogue and the church set parameters. They said, if we're going to have a conversation, this is the literature we're going to use to have the conversation on. So we'll circle around this literature and have a conversation. Mm -hmm. Now, the thing that, that, that the modern Protestant has done is it's taken the, uh, the Holy Scriptures, which we're meant to have a conversation around, and they've turned it into a place we battle mm. one another. Furthermore, Christians fail to realize that the Jewish New Testament, called the Mishnah, written compiled around 200 CE by um, Rabbi Judah the Patriarch, which is the foundation of the Tosefta and the Talmud, okay? Mm. The Mishnah is a compilation of rabbinic debates about a thousand different topics. Mm. Rabbi Eliezer mm. says this, Rabbi Yohanan says this, Rabbi, you know, Judah comes along and says, yes, but this text says, and then another rabbi, it, 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 it engages this rabbinic debate, this rabbinic conversation. Christians come along and assume the New Testament is one conversation over against the Old Testament, and the Old Testament conversation is wrong. The New Testament conversation is right. But they assume it's one conversation, and it's exactly. not. There, there, are, there are two major conversations running through both Testaments, that of religion and that of revelation. Mm. And if you, if you don't get that, you will never understand Holy Scripture. You will always misinterpret it. And, and, even, and even I love the word prismatic, mm -hmm. because I think that that is really... And, you know, we really like there's a flashlight. That's what that inerrancy comes from. There's one flashlight and one light for wavelength. And, 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 and that's the only light there is. 
Whereas the more the old as we as I've got, in my sixties, I've learned too that this prismatic thing is the fact that you read it the way you read it is fine. That's an approach. It's blessed, just like the allegory. It's blessed that they're not. You don't have to choose between them. You can do both, mm -hmm. and and I've seen you do both. You know, uh, and 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 that's that's wonderful. The prismatic light that comes out of it. Let it because and, and I'll never forget the day I was reading Paul. You know, and he was saying. You know, the, some of the things in the Old Testament are examples for us not to do. Right? Yeah. And I just, I, I felt it quick. And, you know what? Oh, that was the whole thing then. He's not vouching that everything is as it appears. We've got to use our spirit quick and conscience. Yeah. Say, well, that's not Jesus. That's not the Hashem. Right. You know? <laughs> so, I mean, that's, and it's it, it actually, itself, it points away from itself. Or it dares you to challenge it. And then if you challenge it, it you can be rewarded. You know, and move on past it and beyond it. Like, like, and I love what you said about Paul moving beyond it. I love that. I, I'm I'm going to be chewing on that one for a while. <laughs> okay. I so mean, I don't know how anybody could say. I'm sorry. I don't know how go anybody ahead. Could say. Um, let the little children come unto me. And at the same time, say, blessed are those who dash your babies' heads on rocks. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> like it makes sense if you're a Calvinist, I guess. I, I that would be it. You, you, you know. Well, there's your mental illness. It makes you bipolar. Yeah. Yeah. It really does. Yes. It, it, yep. It's quite a. It, it really. That's very correct. Or, and if you think about this, the God, the, this Janus-faced God, um, the, this two-faced God of of Christianity, not not the Father of Jesus, but this God of Christianity. If you believe in that kind of a God, that God's an alcoholic. I mean, that God's behavior is alcoholic behavior. And then our behavior in relation to that God's codependent. We're walking wow. around on eggshells. Yeah. We're hoping yeah. not to take yeah. him wow. off. You know, you know. Yeah. And so we we've created a whole addictive codependent wow. culture Ooh. here in America. Ooh. That hurts. But it's true. It's supposed to hurt. Think about people can't even have a normal relationship. They can't have normal relationships. Why? Because they're either addictive or codependent or both. Yeah, I fully agree. I'm uh, okay. Then let me, because we don't have much time left. I'm, in light of all that, how can we encourage those that are on the journey, authentic seekers? Uh, who don't want to become bitter? Because I've seen some people go; they they switch ditches. That's it. They're just nasty. They're harsh. They're destructionists. And uh, to me, that's not the grace of Jesus living in us. What kind of gentleness or advice? Even Richard, you you've got some. You guys are both older than me, so um, you guys are bantering in a fun way here. I love this. But what can we say to those that are that are either starting the journey or on the journey, and confused, and say, "Hey, there's got to be hope in this." I would say, number one, you can't convince anyone intellectually of the gospel. Uh, the gospel really, Jesus does his best work in a crisis. It's when it's when people um, are, quote, losing their faith at that point. That's the best time to be able to reach out when they're saying, I can't, I can't believe God let this happen and, and ask them, well, what kind of God have you been believing in? You know, because we can always come back to the cross. We say Jesus trusted the Father all the way through this. He, did, he wasn't looking for a Superman God or a deus ex machina or, you know, there's a, we have to reframe people's understanding of what God's power is in, in the 
you know, the interventionist God, you know, and I'm with Leonard Cohen. I don't believe in an interventionist God, but I live in a quantum universe. I see the father operating all through every Everywhere. quark and muon and gluon there is. So Amen. don't need an interventionist God, you know? Yeah. Um, the second thing is you can't, bitterness, bitterness. When, pe when people are hurt, especially if they've been scapegoated, and, and so that's why they're leaving. You can't, you can't talk to them. B bitterness, I've noticed when people are deconstructing and they're bitter, I just, I just tend to stay away from them mm. because any conversation tends to get toxic. Yeah. Rather quickly. And so for me at that point, um, the bitterness in that person is like trying to talk to the alcohol in somebody that's been drinking all night. You're talking to the alcohol, not the person. In the other case, you're talking to the bitterness, not the person, you know? Wow. That's good. So that's, I stay away from that. Um, cause, cause the gospel is about forgiveness and they'll go, well, you're telling me I got to forgive everybody that's hurt me. I hate them. I mean, it's just like, okay, wait, yep. wait, this is not time. This is not time. <laughs> So you can't force it. You really yeah. can't. You yeah. know? The second thing is, is that we will only ever be able to take anyone as far as we've walked. Mm -hmm. And if we're not willing to undergo the process of both unlearning and new learning, if we're not willing to undergo that constantly, this last week I've had a major challenge put to some piece of my my uh, theological model, you know, and and um, and I'm sitting here going, huh? Can I? Can I? Does it really matter? You know, is it that important? You know, uh, and it has to do with evolution and creation. Does it really matter if, like, I hold the theory of evolution, but a dear friend is uh, still a creationist? You know. I'm sitting here trying to go, does it really matter? Well, it doesn't matter in terms of revelation. It only matters in terms of anthropology. But even then, I can use my medic theory and read the Genesis text and still come to the same conclusion. Right. So, Interesting. Yeah, it's like, does it really matter? What what what's the stuff that really matters? Is I but the argument, but the argument would come on their side, they would say it totally matters hundred percent. Right. Yeah. Well, it might. They might say that, and and they have said that. And I'm I'm just sitting here, and I'm thinking, well, for them it might, but but yeah. for me, does it really matter? Yeah. I'm 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 constantly just trying to, like Richard said, Jesus deposits this kind of rough cut, yeah. you know, and then he hands us the sandpaper and says, now go to work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and, and you think of the beauty. You think of the beauty of that. That he doesn't give you, he doesn't give you something you can over rely on. I mean, right. that's not his intent. He gives you something that defies congruency. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it defies it. And so, and that in itself is a deconstruction and an oxymoron that causes you, us to be open. This whole thing, everything I've heard Michael say is about us being open, open to new ideas, to better and brighter images. And that it's, it's a, you know, it's a gradual in illumination, ongoing illumination. And the things we have to let go that keep us from going down the new illumination paths, you know, and, and just, and, you know, I always say, you know, uh, it was quickened to me one day about, about trying to feel more with my thoughts and think more with my heart. Hmm. 
and and I and I that would be one thing I would say with with people that are that are going through this, yeah. and then not to convince them. I agree with Michael hundred percent. You can't convince anybody like that. But if we stay friendly, if we yep. if we and and not even go there. Let's just, I, well, I'm not even going to go there to where you're oh. at with it. But you know what? I'm going to be kind to you. Yeah, and I, I, I you know, and I love you, and I think highly of you, and I esteem you, and just let my let my heart become engaged, which is really again what I heard Michael saying earlier, which yep. is this organic heart engagement that that's yes. and, and all the things that take us away from heart engagement are the things that desiccate the text and cause us to over rely on it. And the more we rely on it, the more desiccated it becomes, you know? So, uh, but yeah, this is all good or it's organic. I mean, it's this yeah. right here. I, I have been so blessed, Michael, about what you shared. I mean, it's, it's really, it's been fresh water. I just had one thought that I was thinking this morning. Um, I'd like to throw in there and that's that, I think that as I look back on my life, I wanted to go fix a lot of people's theology. And what I, because I thought it was broken. What occurred to me this morning is that Jesus doesn't fix me. He heals me. There's mm. a difference between healing and fixing. Isn't that wow. what saved means anyway? Yes, yeah, sozo, sozo. Yes, it's it's well, it's used in classical context for healing, but but yeah, yes. So there's a big difference between he, codependents come in to fix. Hmm. We oh, I gotta fix that, gotta fix that, gotta fix that, and then and, move on, and, and then, then we go on. and fix the next thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but <laughs> healing is different than fixing. Amen. And so I I've been mulling on on that and trying to think, you know, how can I help someone that's all stuck in their head. Well, I can't help them really intellectually because I'm just adding more fuel to that yes. fire in their head. So I, I can help them emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, you know, and I, and that's all I'm trying to, to do these days is I'm, I'm not, I'm not interested in playing head games with anybody because I win all the time. So it got boring. <laughs> i'm also hearing a tone of relationship being important too it's not about being right and more right than the other person um but rather you'll sense as you grow like this is what i'm hearing from both of you that when somebody's in a dogmatic argument you're realizing uh, no argument's going to win here this person needs love and healing and so just don't go down that road and redirect and if that doesn't take you a step away but i hear a gentleness coming from both of you that is rare these days and i love it wow thank you I, well I, I always love what emily dickinson say about tell the truth but tell it at a slant Yes. You know, and I'm I'm used to Michael and I are probably the same way. We like to tell it twelve o'clock bullseye. That's you know, it, baby. Alerted, alerted <laughs> to come in at an angle. That's one so shot, one kill. Boom, boom. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> well, we gotta wrap this up. This was too much. I could I have so much we could go over, but this was fun, Michael. Thank you for taking the time. And this was a blindside surprise connection this week with you. And then I blindsided you with the request and you said yes. So this blessed me big time. And I, I think the, the folks that listen to this program and wherever it gets shared, they're, they're going to hear something true that they may not have heard before or feel a draw or dragging to an answer that is there already. Amen. Well, may the spirit, you know, open the hearts and minds of anybody that hears this, just like she's opening our hearts and minds yeah. all the time. Love it, man.
Thank you. And where can we find you online? I have a Facebook page and I, my books are on amazon.com. You can Google my YouTube channel. We put my name in or preaching okay. peace and, okay. and uh, otherwise I'm in Lancaster. Perfect. Yes. Lancaster. We had a chat about that. <laughs> that was cool. I said that, I said that wrong on purpose because if I said it the right way, people wouldn't know. Oh, with the right way. Well, it, here it's with that Pennsylvania Dutch accent. So you put a kiss in the middle with the accent on the first syllable, Lancaster. Okay. okay. Lancaster. And I get in trouble if I didn't mention our mutual friend, Rudy Zacharias and Michelle. Oh, Rudy. Yes. So he wanted to say hello. He and Michelle send their love to you. Yeah. You um, know, man, what a journey he's been on overcoming cancer, you know? I know. And it's, he's uh, beautiful, beautiful. And him and Michelle, I love, yeah, I was, it was cold when I was up in Canada at their place, but I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're good people. I, uh, yeah. he and I butted heads often uh, many years ago, but as I grow and he's grown, suddenly it's like, man, this guy's a good guy and we're friends. And it's really different. Uh, growing yeah. up's difficult. Well, I think, <laughs> I think you said to me that when you, I blocked you on Facebook at one yeah. point or something. <laughs> well, I see my arrogance of my comment because I was defending somebody else for to look good to him because I was trying to appease someone else. And then I realized, oh my goodness, I, I, I'm living someone else's argument. I said, this is dumb. <laughs> And yet I heard many heart related things about who you are and who you are as a person. Um, so this, that's why this interview is fun. Cause oh, I, I'm so, I'm so glad you, you reconnected with me and I'm so glad you and Richard are tight. That just blows my mind. And, 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 <laughs> we are tight. <laughs> well, you know, listen, this is, this is by the way, as the institutional church crumbles, yep. the spirit is building networks. Yes. I the agree. Work is the frame of the future. Mm. Love it. Yeah, Amen. I agree. All right. I'm going to stop the recording and we'll do have it one minute afterwards, whatever. But uh, thank you everyone for watching. I hope this was good. I am certain it was. So let us know if you did enjoy. Oh my goodness. There, there's one conversation I'm going to have to re-listen to yet again. Um, I'm watching live with you as this is this um interview is being shared i'm sitting here in my office listening live and when we record them the first time you know you remember some parts of it but when you sit and watch and this is my second time hearing it it's like oh my goodness so much there i loved it oh my goodness i hope you enjoyed it as well um i want to say hello to a few folks that have commented um Kathy, uh, I'm glad. Yeah, she she said I really need this today. Thank you. Um, yeah, it was. It was really deep. J Jeff Turner, good morning. Uh, he writes fixing versus healing. Uh, perfectly said. Yeah, that caught my attention too. I'm glad you typed that because it's like, yep, that was like some of us are fixers. Um, we want to fix problems, fix relationships, fix theology, and maybe that's not it at all. <laughs> I love that. Um, Derek Turner, good morning. Uh, value what is good from the past, reject what has become lifeless. Yep. Um, yeah. Oh my goodness. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this. Uh, make sure you share, uh, with others, uh, that you think would value this conversation. Not everybody's at a place where they would value this conversation. So don't rub it in their face. Um, but if you know for sure, uh, then definitely do that. And there's a link below in the description um, for Michael's uh, YouTube channel. I think it's there and Facebook page. I'm not sure, but one of them is there. Um, but yeah, uh, that's it. 
uh, it's I gotta get going because it's uh, it's already almost an hour, and usually my interviews are I'm trying to keep them to 30, 40, 45 minutes max. But uh, this one just kept going because it was so much fun. We're gonna get Michael back. Um, it's gonna be fun to get to know him. I think he and Richard have something going on, some kind of debate coming up. I don't know which I forget what the title is or what it's about, but. I'm interested in hearing those two guys go at it. <laughs> it's going to be fun. Ah, I love it. All right. You guys have a great week, and we will catch you next time on Still Growing in Grace. Join me next time on Still Growing in Grace for more good news. Enjoy previous episodes by downloading our podcast at growingingrace.ca. You can also visit hopefellowshipycc.com to find our service times and location. If this show has been an encouragement to you, please consider making a donation today at growingingrace.ca and help us keep spreading this good news. Thank you again for tuning in to Still Growing in Grace.